Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Today's episode is about trauma, and this has been something that I've really got to learn a lot more about lately as I write, as I create courses, and as I interview amazing people and have these conversations, I'm starting to realize more and more and more that trauma is the root of so many things in our lives, blocking us from hitting our true potential, creating this um, fear-based reality that we live in, emotional responses, anger, resentment, um, shame. There's, there's all this stuff, addiction. All of this stuff is rooted in trauma in most cases is what I'm learning. And in order to really get to the bottom of this stuff, we have to acknowledge it. We have to be able to be aware of it, and then we can start to heal it. And today's conversation, we talked about just that. We talked about the power of, of what trauma is, how do we heal it, different ways that we can do it, and really how we're living in a traumatized world and how our corporations and and the powers that be depend on us being traumatized so that they can sell us on the fear, sell us on the need that we aren't whole and we need something outside of ourselves. It's the reality. If you don't want to hear it, you guys, that's the truth. If we are whole, if we are in love, we don't need to buy all the bullshit. We don't need to do all the things. We have it within ourselves, right? We're sold this idea that we need all this stuff outside of ourselves. And that is a real hard realization for people. But today's conversation, we focus on his name. He goes by Michael Unbroken, his branding all over social media. Um, and his name is Michael Anthony. And he's been through major adversity in his life. Abusive drug addict mother, terrible, awful stepfather, a racist grandmother. He's been through the Mormon church. He was abused, all the things. And this man has been able to come out of that um, and be able to um, empower people to think differently. And he's a coach, he's a mentor, he's an educator for survivors of child abuse and really powerful dude. A little bit more about him is he is an author of a best-selling book, Think Unbroken. And like I mentioned, is a coach, mentor, educated for, uh, educator for adult survivors of child abuse. Michael spends his time helping other survivors get out of the vortex to become the hero of their own story and take their lives back. I love that because really, isn't that what we're doing? We all have a story. We all have some degree worse or better than others, but let's empower ourselves and become the hero in our lives. Let's stop being victims. Isn't that the goal here? And we really, um, we really broke that down today. Michael is also the creator of the Unbroken podcast and teaches at the Think Unbroken Academy and is on a mission to end generational trauma through giving survivors the tool to be the hero of their own stories. He is a powerful dude. He's, he's working with some amazing people, such as Grant Cardone, um, John Lee Dumas, Tom Bilio, and his word is getting, his world, his, um, his word is getting out there. His, his, uh, his mission is powerful, and it was an honor to have him on. So, you guys get ready. Trauma is very important. And it's very important that if you are serious about healing on your journey, 
If you're serious about making change in your life, then we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of our stories, our past stories, and not allowing them to dictate our lives because a lot of the stories we tell ourselves are bullshit stories. They really are. And we're allowing them to guide our present day, our real-time movie. They, allow, they, they fog our lens. And these, these old stories, these old traumas, these moments, they, they get their emotions trapped in time. And they surface in reality as these emotions, as anger, as fear. And they allow and they dictate our lives. So let's really be mindful of our stories. And if shitty things happen in your life, I, I'm sorry about that, but now's the time, now's the opportunity to step into the empowerment and to take action and to really focus on what do I need to do to move forward? How do I change the narrative? How do I change the present day story that I'm telling myself? This episode will help you out. Listen to this right till the end, you guys. If you aren't subscribed to the podcast, please subscribe. And if you are watching this on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and leave us a comment. All right. Without further ado, enjoy the show. Michael Unbroken coming right up. Here we go. Michael, welcome to University of Adversity, my man. Super excited to have you on. How you doing? Brother, I'm, I'm super good. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here with you today. I'm, I'm very excited to be with you. Yeah, likewise, man. And, you know, as we were talking a little bit before we hit record, um, trauma and unpacking trauma is something that I've really taking an interest to and really learning, um, getting a better understanding of what it is, the importance of healing it and what can come from it. So I, you know, looking at your story and what you're doing right now, I'm really looking forward to this because, you know, you've been through a lot, but you're also helping a lot of people through this stuff that happens in such a young formative age. So if we could start, I would love to know and, and, you know, we can start wherever I, I, I feel like with your story, it'd be probably best to start right at the beginning in childhood. Right. And if you could, man, take us back to what it was like for you growing up, walk us through a little bit of your journey. Yeah, man. I'll, I'll give you the elevator pitch version of it. So at four years old, my mother, who was a drug addict and alcoholic, uh, she actually cut off my right index finger. My step father was hyper abusive, the kind of guy you praise, never your stepfather. Uh, and I used to lie in bed at night and be like, why don't, why won't my real dad come and save me? And he never came. Hmm. And by the time that I was 10 years old, we were often in poverty, even homeless. I mean, Lance, we were so poor, the water company came and turned our water off. And I grew up in Indianapolis. It's not like I grew up in some other part of the world. By the time that I was 12 years old, I started getting high. At 13, I started selling drugs, getting drunk. By 15, I got expelled out of school. I was selling drugs, breaking into cars, hurting people, you know, the whole nine. It was just really, really dark. Mm. And by the time that I was 18, uh, I didn't graduate high school on time. Effectively, they just handed me the diploma and they were like, you have to get out of here. And I was trying to figure out, well, what's the solution for poverty, for abuse, for all these bad things that happen in my life? And I was like, oh, it's got to be money. And so I made a declaration myself, by the time that you're 21, I'm going to make $100,000 a year legally. And this was super important, Lance, because my best friends were getting arrested. My uncle was in prison for life. Uh, many of my friends and family were, were in jail. And I was like, this: if I stay on this path, I know where I'm going. 
And so by the time that I was 21, I did that. I landed a job with a Fortune 10 company making six figures legally, no high school diploma, no college education. And and you would be like, okay, great problem solve. Life is wonderful. Well, I found myself at 26, 350 pounds, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, drinking myself to sleep. And that's when I put a gun in my mouth. I was just done, man. Like I was, all the suffering, all the abuse, all the chaos of my past just felt like it was weighing on me in such a way. I just, I wanted to quit. I just wanted to quit. I wanted to be free of it. And this really odd thing happened the next day. I was laying in bed. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. Keep in mind, I'm 350 pounds. I'm eating chocolate cake, smoking a joint and watching the CrossFit games. Now, dude, if that's not rock bottom, I don't know what is. And so I went, I looked in the bathroom mirror and I didn't recognize the face. I was like, I don't understand who I am. And I remembered being eight years old. One of these days at the water company had come and turned the water off. And I went in the backyard and I took this little blue bucket and I walked across the street to our neighbor's house and I turned on their spigot. And that was the first time that I stole. And I said to myself, Michael, when you're grown up, this won't be your life. Now, from a financial aspect, it wasn't my life, but the torment, the pain, the suffering, the ramifications of trauma, that was my experience. And so as I looked in the mirror, having that memory, I asked myself, what was I willing to do to have the life that I want to have? And these words, no excuses, just results started reverberating in my brain. And at that point, Lance, I just started doing all of the work. I got serious about therapy. I got serious about coaching. I got serious about personal development and working through the pain of the past, understanding I had an ACE score of 10, understanding all these really dark things that happened in my life. And fast forward 11, almost 12 years later, here I am talking to you. And I've been privileged to become a leader in this space, to have this terrible conversation, to take the rug and show people what's underneath it. And, you know, my hope and my goal in this is to end generational trauma in my lifetime. Man, there's so many layers to that. And it just, it's, it's hard for me to understand how somebody that goes through so much can get out of that (laughs) because so many people can't, right? How, who did you, who did you have a support Did you have anybody like, who did you lean on? How did you know, like, what were your resources to get out of that? Because I'm, I I like to like go back and figure out when you're in that position, you know, shits hit the fan in all these different areas. Like, what is the thing that's, that's guiding you? How did you, how did you even, did you have a mentor? Did you have anybody that gave a shit about you? Like, how did that happen? Great question. And, and, you know, you can look at research and there's reports around resiliency and so much about resiliency for people is literally having one person who supported them at some point in the journey. Yeah. And, and when I look back on my life, there, there were people, right? So even though there was a lot of chaos, a lot of abuse, a lot of beatings, a lot of, you know, whatever that thing was, uh, there was always like a person who was a marker for care and, for a period of time, it was my grandmother. She adopted me when I was 12 years old, but Lance, I'm, I'm biracial. I'm black and white. My grandma was an old racist ass white lady from a town in Tennessee. You've never wow. heard of, 
right? And so now insert identity crisis. So I couldn't even step into like being me. And what happened is I started just pushing back, pushing back, pushing back. And I found myself, the two people played a pivotal role in my life. One is Mr. Hollingsworth. I was a sophomore in high school and I'm in this, or excuse me, junior in high school. And I'm in this last chance program. He comes up to me one day and he goes, you have to stay after class. I need to talk to you. I'm like, shit, man, what do I do this time? And, and he just sits me down. He goes, you're not supposed to be here. And, and what that meant was not in that classroom, but in that environment, in that situation, in that whatever. And he said, you have to get out of this so you can go do something with your life. Now at 17 years old, that made no sense to me. Fast forward a little bit, my senior year of high school, I got failed um, and was forced to go to summer school because of myself. Mr. Bush, who was the basketball coach, but also my first period business teacher, I walked into his class one day at the beginning of our last semester of school. And I go, look, man, I'm not coming to your class. I'm up all night. I'm selling drugs. I got this, this fake job at Hollywood video covering it up. Right. And I'm not getting up at seven o'clock to come to your class. And so he goes, dude, I've seen it all. This guy's been teaching 25 years, Lance. There's nothing he hasn't seen. He goes, all right, do this check in with me, do homework once a week. I didn't do either of those things. And so graduation list gets posted. I go to his classroom and I knew immediately why. And I go, why did you fail me? And he goes, it's the most important thing anyone has ever told me in my life. He goes, what you have to understand about life is that you cannot get by on your charms and your good looks. If you want something, you're going to have to earn it. And that dude, mind blowing to me in that moment. Of course, I was pissed. I was a child. I had to go to summer school. I was embarrassed, but it, it created this amazing catalyst for me. And as I got deep into the journey, you know, there was a period of time where until 26, 27, I wasn't looking at personal development. I wasn't looking at mentors because I was making six figures. I had this cool lifestyle. And then I recognized something important like, you have to heal. For, for your life to actually be filled with joy and happiness. Mm. And that's when I started getting into therapy seriously. And I looked at people like that even as mentors, because I was trying to connect dots. Right. Now, fast, fast forward to where I am today and having a lot of mentors, you know, being an entrepreneur has been amazing for me because I've been able to work with incredible people like Tom Bilyeu and Grant Cardone and uh, John Lee Dumas and, and people who in this space want to help people become better. Now, of course, I scaled into that. It wasn't always like that for a long time my mentors were like the books on your shelf they were late fees at the library they were youtube videos and so you know there's there's always been kind of a a, a north star for me but you have to look for it too you have to mm. listen for it mm. yeah man that's it's powerful stuff i want to i want to kind of unpack a couple things here i want to ask you what for those of for those people listening who hear the word trauma, they don't really understand it. What is trauma? Yeah, trauma is going to be the aftershock of the experience that you had, the weight that's carried, the burden that goes with you, the the anvil that you have to carry after something, you know, after an experience. Right? Think about this. It's not typical. Typically, the moments of abuse in which we are traumatized, 
right? It's what happens after. It's the flashbacks. It's the memories. It's the, I smell a scent in the street and I have a panic attack. It's the, I, I can't think straight because the only thing ever happened to me is I'm in fight or flight. My cortisol response is out of control. My, my amygdala is not firing, right? Like my hippocampus has got me freaked out. My vagus nerve is so tight. I can't breathe. can't see straight, right? Trauma is the aftershock. That's the part that people don't understand, right? The event happens. But then we carry that event with us. It's in our body. It's in our mind. It's in our soul. It's in our spirit. And, and sometimes, especially for people who have had emotional trauma, you know, I would argue that's more potent and powerful in the ramification than physical trauma, right? Physical events that happen. Because like you can heal. Like I look at my finger now. I had skin grafts. I had reconstructive surgery. I can heal this finger. But the memories in the mind, like that took extra work. That didn't do that, you know, it's not autonomic. And so that trauma, that's what took a long time to be able to step and work through. Yeah. It's like, it just gets trapped. That emotion doesn't get to like fully work itself out. It gets trapped in time. Right. And, yeah. and I was watching this documentary with Gabor Mate and he, he was talking about how usually it's, you don't get to process it and you're usually alone. Like there's no one to, there's no one to talk about it and you don't really understand it because when you're a child, you don't really have that filter of what's right and what's wrong. You're kind of like, you just absorb it. And if something happens, you don't really, if you don't have somebody to talk about it or process your feelings, then it just becomes this thing that's stored, right? It's, it's crazy, man. And like, you think about that. I mean, how, how often that can happen in, in a kid and it doesn't have to be, something that's super, super dramatic. It can be something small too. Yeah. Right? You're, like you're spot on. And, and here's what people don't really understand that, that thing said in passing by your third grade teacher about how you're not as smart as the other kids because you colored the sun purple will carry with you to the point where you're 40 years old and you can't make choices because you're scared of judgment, mm. right? You have to think and understand that. And, and, and also to the point that you made, children don't understand that something is wrong in their home when the only thing that they ever see is that experience. I didn't know that it was not right for me to get my head slammed into walls when I asked questions until I was in homes where children were safe to ask questions, right? And then so now you start making meaning of things, you start looking at things and evaluating them and understanding, okay, wait, something's actually off here. Something doesn't make sense here. Why is it that at this house, here's one of the best things that happened to me in terms of being homeless. I know this is going to sound odd, but I got to experience living with over 30 different families in two years. Wow. Right. That's, that's chaotic. That that's is definitely lot. not ideal for a kid. Yeah. We were, my mom was in and out of rehab. She would disappear for months at a time. It was chaotic, dude. And so I would get to experience all these different families and see how they treated their children, see how they treated each other. I didn't know that it was okay not to yell at each other when you were mad. I didn't know that brothers and sisters didn't punch each other in the face and didn't throw cups against the wall and do all those things because that's just, we, we grew up in violence. Yeah. My brothers and I were pitted against each other. We went to war with each other. I've broken my hand on my brother's face like four times, just violence everywhere and yelling and screaming and belittlement and, and anger and aggression, all those things. So being in these other homes, 
I would see this thing of like conflict resolution, obviously not having the words for it because I'm eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, but getting an understanding that, wait, something here is not right. And when you get that, you start to formulate an idea of looking at your family, looking at your life, looking at your environment and saying, okay, now I know this doesn't make sense. I always had the feeling, right? But it wasn't reinforced until I was in those other supportive environments. Mm, I can relate. It's uh, growing up in that environment. It's all you know. And, you know, you act out in school too, what you learn at home, right? Your brother beats you up. You just beat up other kids. Yeah. It was the same. I was like, my brother was seven years older and he kicked my ass and I'd just be at school and I'd just beat kids up. Like I didn't mean to, but like if they, you know, it was just, that's all I knew. Right. Yeah. And I was in elementary school and yeah. And it's, it's crazy when you're in that uh, environment that is a lot of screaming and yelling and you almost get addicted to that. And then when things are like peaceful, it's like, it seems strange when things are quiet and peaceful. Yeah. It's like terrifying. if people are getting along, you're like, Oh, this is weird parents yeah. my parents don't get along like this like it's yeah. crazy you're, you're spot on because it's it's learned behavior right yeah. you know it's fascinating i was in a healthy relationship at one point in my 20s for a very very short stint of time because it was so uncomfortable i couldn't be in it because i you know the only way i knew to communicate was yelling right and today i have a no yelling rule in my life i have a boundary in my life that says I'm not allowed to yell at people. People are not allowed to yell at me. That is a no, that is a a hard stop every single time. Mm. But one of the really interesting things about looking at how you can measure positive reinforcing environments is you can create these markers and understanding because then, and then your brain starts going, wait, this is weird. I don't know if I'm comfortable with the idea that I can just be nice to people and that they can be nice to me. And then you start to learn about your capacity for lack of a better term, to be a human being. Mm. And I think that's one of the most impactful things is the awareness that you can bring into situations just by measuring the environment and looking at the supportive structures within them. Mm. And as a kid, you're right. What are you going to do? It's, It's a learned behavior to punch the other kids in the face. We only know what we're taught. We don't know anything different. So it's not surprising me. I did the same thing. I got suspended for fighting from school more times than I can count right? That was one of the catalysts for me getting expelled. Like, they're like, dude, you're violent. Well, yeah, no shit. What do you think's happening at my house every day? Yeah. And then you get into adulthood and you're like, wait a second, I can't actually do that. What do I do with this anger? What do I do with this pain? What do I do with suffering? And that's that part about doing the emotional healing, stepping Mm -hmm. into the work, figuring out like, what do you do to, to get to this place where first and foremost, you can be kind to yourself. Hmm. Yeah. And I find I've been really unpacking this in my own life is that, you know, anger, anger is like that tip of that iceberg. That is, there's so much below that, that causes that anger. You know, it's so interesting to see why, you know, why is anger that emotion that's so strong? And I've been really unpacking what it is. And it's, it's always the underneath the anger that there's so many things, shame, guilt, regret, all this stuff. And anger is that motion that usually surfaces. Do you find that that is that for you too? Like, is, do you, and, and when you, if you do get anger, like, how do you, what's your process for like, kind of like being like, all right, how do I calm myself down? 
Yeah, totally. And I think you're spot on. Um, two parts here, right? So first and foremost, I agree with you. I think anger becomes the default mechanism for the fear that we have about being vulnerable with ourselves. Mm. to acknowledge, you know, pain, guilt, shame. Sometimes it's even about the idea that we're upset with ourselves. But instead of giving ourselves the space to be, dare I say, disappointed, we beat ourselves up. We go, you're an idiot. You're stupid. You're fucking moron. You're this, Mm. you're that. And some of us talk to ourselves in ways that if we talk to another human being, we would get arrested or punched in the face. Yeah. And, you know, one of the first things I teach my clients when I'm coaching them is very simple. I am the kind of person who is kind to myself because by proxy, your kindness will interject into the world. And I think that we're so used to being unkind to ourselves. It's easy. We're in our own head every day. And I think that becomes the precursor for changing the way that we communicate with ourselves. Hmm. Because if you can change that, you can change your outward approach of dealing with anger, dealing with the stimulus that puts you in that position. Now, on the other side of this question is, well, what do you do when you get angry? Anger becomes a default mechanism because it's the easiest form of communication. It's a lot easier to break something than it is to put your hand on it, acknowledge it, and look at it and go, okay, there's something here that I need to make different. Not necessarily better, but different. And so when you step into it, for me, one of the mechanisms that I use is I try not to even get to the place where I get angry. And how do you do that? I'm mitigating the risk. I journal, I meditate, I work out five, six times a week. I try to take care of my, my, my emotions, my systems, mm. my processes. And I think also on this, you have to be able to explore and feel the full depth scope and range of emotions, because sometimes we're trapped in anger and we don't allow joy to come in. We don't allow happiness to exist. And so when you allow one to exist, you by proxy, let the other, but we get stuck in these loops, right? right? Think about this. Sometimes you're angry for days about shit that you can't even do anything about because you're looping through it. You're like, man, it just comes up and we keep fighting it, keep fighting it, just get deeper into it. And what I'm always thinking about, and and this has become a really important part of, of my healing journey. I used to be a control freak, like to the extent that I would even tell the people I dated what they should wear. Because to me, like control felt like safety, This is what people don't necessarily understand about control. It felt like safety because when you're growing up in an environment, for me, I would get pulled out of bed in the middle of night and beat, right? So how do you ever have a parameter of safety as a kid? You don't. So what do you do as an adult? You build it in, you put it into everything and that works for you until it stops working for you. And then one of the things that you understand is that that anger that you're feeling that's inward at this scope and this depth that it has to have a release. Mm. You have to do something with the anger because if not, it's going to fester. It's going to boil over. It's going to impact your family, your community, your relationships, everything around you. Right. And so the thing that I'm always considering is if I'm angry, if I'm hurt, if I'm upset, can I just simply pause and ask myself, what do I need right now? Because Lance, the answer might be, I just need to cry. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 We got to let it process, right? Sometimes, you know, we try and deny these, these feelings and, you know, essentially we're denying ourselves. So it's important to be able to process that and journaling, dude, 
nailed it. Like that's been such a big thing for me too. Meditation. You know, I was in, I was doing, I was in uh, Denver for Dr. Joe Dispenza and doing some of his meditations and they're just, it's amazing what can happen when you sit through and you allow yourself to process things mm-hmm. without the external circumstances and the, the environment to dictate everything, right? So many people are in just reactive mode all day, all the time that they never tune in. They never tune in and feel what's going on because they're too busy numbing or distracting or, you know, finding some sort of, uh, diverting their attention from what it is from themselves the entire day. So it's, it's super important. Um, I want to, I want to ask you, so around trauma, what is your process with starting to heal trauma and how do you know when you're starting to heal? Yeah. Great question. So I always think about this acknowledgement is everything. Because when I go look at my life, rock bottom, 26 years old, in that throw of chaos or what I call the vortex, it was because I'd never acknowledged anything. I just kept putting it down deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper because I thought that I was strong, right? I thought that I was a man. Men don't talk about getting molested. Men don't talk about getting beat. Men don't talk about getting starved, right? They don't talk about not being loved. And the more I didn't talk about it, the more it started doing that thing about festering and boiling over. But when I acknowledged it, and and this is going to sound odd, but I want you to hear me out. When I acknowledged it, I I did not take culpability. I did not sit there and say, I am to blame. Because we are not to blame for the dark things that happened to us as children. We're not. It's not your fault that your stepdad was an asshole or your mom was a drug addict. Their job was to protect you. They didn't. That is not on you. Acknowledgement is about looking at it and saying, yes, it happened. Because if you don't say, yes, it happened, then you will never be able to heal it. You will never be able to work through it. You will never be able to step through it and come out the other side. And I'll never sit here and be like, trauma doesn't impact you, even though you're a decade into the work, because it still does. Like we're the sum total of all of our experiences leading up to this moment. So that means every single thing that's ever happened in our life creates who we are and to dismiss it, to hide from it, to stuff it down, it will find a way to come out. That could be through vices or addiction, through behaviors, through the things that you don't do, through the reward mechanisms you don't give yourself, through the not showing up when it's your turn to take a promotion or build a business or do that thing that you dream of doing. And so in acknowledgement, you can look at it and you say, okay, this happened. And in saying that in time, what will happen is you will get a sense of freedom from it because you're going to do the work around it. You're going to show up for it. You're going to make sure that you start to take your life back, becoming the hero of your own story. Now, people ask me all the time, well, how do you know if you're healing? How do you know if you're doing it right? How do you know if blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I have no idea because it's different for everybody. But the number one thing I always come to is are your behaviors different? Is the way that you're talking to yourself different? Is the way that you're showing up for your partner, family, community, the world different? You know, are a lot of the behaviors and mechanisms that you use to solve the pain, are those different? 
Do you take care of yourself? Do you show up? Are you journaling? Are you eating well? Are you going to therapy? Are you being kind to yourself? Because here's the truth about this. What you think becomes what you speak and what you speak become your actions and your actions become your reality. So are you changing your words? Are you changing your actions? Are you changing your reality? And within the scope of that understanding that people around you, they will actually be the ones to point it out because you're deep in it. So forest for the trees scenario. And they'll go, Lance, you're different. We notice you're kind. You don't explode at people when you're getting Starbucks and they bring you the wrong drink. You're patient with yourself. We hear the words coming out of your mouth. You're, you're being a person of the community of the world and creating impact. And we notice now in that noticing, here's, what's really interesting. Some people are going to try to pull you down in that process because their fear of is of their own inadequacy, their own lack of doing the work or whatever that might be. And, and I'm going to paraphrase a Jay-Z quote that is really powerful. It says, people around you saying that you changed. Well, I didn't do all this work to stay the same. And I think about that every day. Like people are always measuring growth as better, mm. better. What the hell does better mean? The only thing I'm ever measuring is momentum, momentum. Mm. And what does that mean? Am I taking a step closer to the life that I want to create every single moment of every single day, as much as humanly possible? Am I looking at micro wins? Am I measuring the small incremental and granular shifts that take me just one degree closer to where I want to go as opposed to where I was earlier And this journey, man, if I could teach anyone, anything, all this other stuff aside, the number one word that I teach anyone that I work with is patience because it's going to take you a lifetime to get to the place where you're loving yourself, where you're okay to be vulnerable with yourself, where you can look in the mirror and say, I'm proud of myself because we're reframing for many of us decades of only ever being told you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not capable enough. And as you get into this journey and you start to do this work and you have mentors and coaches and therapists and you listen to podcasts like this or whatever it is, on a long enough timeline, you're going to find that thing that I said called peace. Mm. Yeah, and it's being told that we're not good enough is not just from our own past. It's society too. Our, our entire, all the corporations prey on the traumatized world and all of our fears. You're not good enough unless you have this. You're not cool enough unless you buy this. You're, you're sold the dream of Disney if you're not whole unless you have this other part, this other person. It's all a bunch of bullshit, man. Like everything outside of ourselves, we have, we you know, we just seek wholeness and society tells us that we're not whole and we need something outside of ourselves. And, and it's, it's crazy, man, because not only are people dealing with their own individual stuff, but you're dealing with a society that is selling the same thing at you and telling you you're not enough. So you really have to take, you really have to empower yourself and take it in and, and, and take it into your hands to figure out what it means to create that wholeness. Yeah, you absolutely do. And and Lance, there's no Disney moment. Your yeah. life's not going to fucking magically change. It yeah. doesn't work that way. You're going to have to do a tremendous amount of work in this process while also measuring the impact of the society and the environment around you. Mm -hmm. Because I will tell you this, 
I, I blew a lot of money in my 20s, a lot of money, and never made me happy one fucking time. And now I live, I have live a vagabond lifestyle. I'm a mentalist. I have barely anything. I could, I wanted to put my life in two suitcases and travel the world like I used to do. And there's freedom in that. But we're measuring ourselves against other people and their expectations when the only person we should ever be measuring ourselves against is us. One of the greatest gifts that I've had in this journey is that I don't care what people think about me. Because what does your opinion of me have to do with me, my choices, my decisions, my actions? This doesn't mean that I don't take into consideration my friends and my family and the people around me who are close. And if they're like, Michael, you're being an asshole, check yourself. I'm going to listen. But the fact that you hate my tattoos or you don't like the name of my company or you think that I look stupid, who gives a shit? What does that have to do with me? Nothing. And, and when you start to think about that and you don't, I don't care if you don't like me. I get, I get a lot. I get a lot of people who don't like me. Okay. So how do I serve the people who are in the room with me? That's what matters. How do I serve myself? How do I take care of myself? Because the difference between success and failure in life isn't someone else's opinion of you. It's your own opinion of you. Yeah. And that's the only thing that matters. I noticed something incredible. I want to say around 2010, 2011. So I was running my second business and I was getting deep into personal development. I was, I was tracking a lot of entrepreneurs and podcasts had really only kind of started becoming a thing at that point. And I was listening to podcasts. I was watching videos on YouTube. I was going and getting, um, you know, DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff because I'm aging myself here um, around all of uh, personal development and gurus or whomever, right? You know that yeah. crowd. Yeah. And the one thing I noticed that they all had in common that I didn't have in common with them was that they were undeniably and unapologetically themselves. Mm. And they had success because of it. And that's what I started doing. I started moving towards who is Michael, right? And the person right now sitting in front of you today is effectively a realization of an idea of the person I thought I could be because I just started doing the work and I started going down the path and I started trying to make my life better. And then eventually on a long enough timeline, it became better. It became different. It became realized because I believed I was capable of doing it. Now, that was on my terms. That was how I wanted to create my life. Here's one of the things you have to understand in this process. We are negated the ability to have this thing called agency as children from trauma, to be ourselves, to try things, to be weird or or quirky or different or whatever that thing is, right? Because every time we try to move towards, this is who Michael is, this is who Lance is, this is who Susie is, there's a negative ramification on the backside. You're not allowed to be that way, or there's pain or punishment, or, or there's judgment and shame and guilt. Don't wear that backpack. Don't have your hair cut that way. You're, who do you think you are? And so that negative reinforcement as an adult puts us in fear of trying things, right? That's why so many dreams are in the graveyard, as EA Prince says, because people are terrified of the shame of the judgment of other people because they think their dreams are too small because someone told them in fifth grade that their haircut was stupid.
Mm. And, and when you start to do the things that you want to do because you want to do them, you actually start to grow. You start to change. You start to create the reality that you want because you want to have it. And that just takes time. Again, that's where patient comes in. And you just have to try different things every single day that you feel like are part of who you are. And some things will feel really right. And some things will feel really wrong. And you just keep testing the water until you dive in one day. And then on the backside of that, you're like, oh, okay, cool. This is who I am. Yeah, I um, I wanted to talk to you as well around you know, what's going on in the world right now. And, you know, obviously there's adversity that we've all been facing for the last 18 months. And, you know, we've, I think I can speak for myself that I've learned and grown a lot and I've been challenged a lot with what's going on and versus my beliefs and how I show up and what do I stand for and what do I speak? Where do I go inward? All this kind of shit. Even up until this conversation, I'm going through this stuff. How has this, this craziness impacted you and how is it, how has it challenged your belief system? And, you know, talk us through a little bit about that, this trauma of the world and how it's really impacted you this last 18, 18 months, almost two years now. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think anyone understands what the backside of this is going to be. Mm. I think the fallout, not only from the social isolation, but from what at times feels like us a huge amount of control being placed on us is going to lead to ramifications that none of us understand. Mm -hmm. And, and I think about, I wrote a post probably 14, 15 months ago, it was last spring. And I wrote that if I were a child during this time, I would be dead because of the violence I was experiencing in my home. Mm. The only, the only safety I ever had was school. And that was even just only a tick below what was happening at home. And so I think about that every single day, like this isolation, it's not normal. This suffering, this, what almost feels like torture at times is not supposed to be how we live our lives. And so now the, the shroud of fear that encompasses everything that we do is I believe going to carry weight that that is going to be detrimental for generations to come. And even in myself, I will say this 2020 was one of the, if not the best years of my life. And 2021 is better than that. And next year will be better than this one because Lance, I made up my mind. I made a decision. Let me put it like this. My goal is to end generational trauma in my lifetime. So whether it's a hurricane or a pandemic, I don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. I'm not stopping. I'm not stopping. I'm going to leave a dent in this. I'm going to eradicate this. I'm going to make myself obsolete. Last year, I coached more people than I've ever coached. I wrote another book last year. I spoke on more stages than I've ever spoke on. I got investments from people like Grant Cardone, an undercover billionaire, right? This thing is growing. It's changing because I'm so zeroed in and focused. This is what people have to understand about life. There's always going to be the next chaotic event. We're, we're a day away from it, you know? Yeah. That's kind of the human experience. There will be the next thing. 
Mm. You can't let these things stop you. There are a lot of people. And look, I got, I got canceled for a moment. And because I said, you're wasting your time during the pandemic when you could be building your dream. And I meant that. And I stood by it and I still stand by it. I'm not saying that there aren't mental health ramifications to this. Continue to do the work, show up for therapy, show up for coaching, read the books, do the things, go to the virtual summit. But just because there's chaos doesn't mean you stop. Well, you should want to do it. This is when we do it. When shit's like this, this is when you do it. This is when we do the work. You don't lean into this shit. This is real life. Like, yeah. It is. And I think about the fact that some people took the last 18 months as a vacation and in 18 months from now, they're going to complain that their life's not different. And it breaks my fucking heart, man, because I just sit here and I look at, and and my life being better, isn't this measurement of finances or travel or anything like that. It's, did I show up for myself today? Did I do the work today? And, and I think about this a lot. The, the truth about life is you have to continue to move forward because until you're dead, you still have the opportunity to shift your life. Everything could be different right now like yeah. that, but you have to make choices and you have to make decisions. I tell people all the time when I coach them, I'm not going to save your life. I'm not going to change your life. I'm not even going to make your life better, but I will show you how. Mm-hmm. That's a perfect segue into the next question for you is that out of all the tools that you have come across modalities in the healing world, what have been the most useful tools for you to heal trauma and what do you recommend to other people? Yeah. Community is number one. Like I think about the fact that when I tried to do this by myself, I, it was, it was terrifying. It was awful. It was uncomfortable. I never felt like there was any progress. And then I started putting myself into, um, it was men's group therapy that became a really potent part of my journey. And then it was group trauma therapy. And then it was like communal supports. And then it was building out all these systems and teams around me in my journey, because you can't do this alone. You cannot do this alone. And look, the shame and the guilt are often the catalyst for why we don't seek help Mm. because we're terrified of judgment. But here's what was fascinating in my experience. When I got in rooms with people who had had similar experiences like I had, I was able to share with, for lack of a better term, authenticity, the experiences that I had with no, no filter, no blinders, no hiding behind the curtain. And in that, I got a great and tremendous sense of community, of being seen, of being heard, of being felt. We don't have to do this by ourselves. And I would argue it probably is not beneficial to try to do this alone. And so I think community is everything. Where can you find support? Where can you be a part of an experience with other people who will support you? who will give you the space in which you can have the conversation because the conversation probably isn't meant to be had at the dinner table with your family. 
probably supposed to be proctored in a way in which you can create some impactful meaning about the experiences that you had. And our friends should not be our therapists any more than our, our partners should. Right. And so you need to be in connection with people who can support you in this. Right. And in that you'll find a tremendous amount of growth. And then one day, hopefully on a long enough timeline, you'll look at it and you go, I don't have to be in this room anymore. Maybe I'll pop in and visit sometimes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so community is everything. Nobody great has ever done anything great alone. Yeah. Community is huge. It's been huge for me as well. Um, another thing I, I just, I want to kind of think about all the experiences you've been through, you know, the abuse, um, terrible stepfather, you know, racist grandma, you were a Mormon too, right? Like there's a yeah. lot there. How is your perspective on those experiences now though? Like, I mean, as you've healed, as you're growing, like what, what is that feeling that comes up when that is, when somebody brings it up? Like, have you learned to forgive? Have you learned to like give it love? Like, where do you stand right now in your healing process with some of that horrific stuff, man? Because like, it's hard. And I'm, I'm just curious as to like where you're at in this particular moment of time with all of that. Yeah. So I had a therapist teach me something incredible one day. He goes, see, the thing people don't understand about therapy is therapy is about helping you make meaning of experiences that you have emotionally and then taking them and taking the experiences and keeping them at face value, exactly how they look and placing them on a shelf and looking at them, mm. not, not carrying the weight of them in your backpack all day. And I was like, damn, that's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. That's there. That's therapy. All right, cool. Let's go deep. Let's get into this. Right. Cause my backpack's very, very fucking heavy. Mm. And, and the thing that started to happen is I would get deeper into talking about the emotional impact of those experiences. Think about this. A person who has not been able to step through the healing process yet is not going to be able to share stories like I've shared today without a tremendous emotional response attached for them. I've been able to, through doing this work, remove to, to pretty large extent that initial shock of the experience when the story comes up. That's the trigger, right? That's the thing that sends you spiraling into the vortex, into panic attacks, into freaking out. And I've only able to been I've only been able to do that through doing the work, through processing it emotionally. Dude, I have four journals on my desk every day. And I write and I get it out and I don't carry it with me because even though I may have processed something that happened 25 years ago, seven years ago, right? Maybe it pops up again. Well, what do I do with that? Okay, cool. I'm going to sit in my journal. I'm going to follow the emotion. I'm going to let it exist. I'm going to have it be a part of my experience. I'm not going to hide from it because it's not going to work. And so I process the anger, I process the emotion, I process the happiness or the joy or the sadness or whatever comes along with that. And then I put it on the shelf and sometimes I got to dust it off and go, oh, shit, that happened again. All right, cool. Let me get a little dust. Mm -hmm. And, and in that I've, I've freed myself from the pain of it all. Cause Lance, I don't get to make the scars go away. I have to look down at this finger that got cut off every day. That doesn't go away. It doesn't matter the, the burns on my arms that don't go away, but I go, I acknowledge it. Yeah, that happened. 
I'm sad about the sad things. I'm happy about the happy things. And in that, you asked about forgiveness. And I'm going to say something that's going to disrupt the conversation on forgiveness. I believe forgiveness is earned. It's not just given. And I know that there is this juxtaposition in saying that and perhaps even an irony because then forgiveness is the word given. But I think that you have to give it to people who earn it. Mm. At four, at 14 years old, I put a restraining order on my mother and my stepfather. And at mm. 18, after years, years of trying to give my mother grace through the drugs, through the drinking and driving, through the, the suicidal ideations, through the fact that she told me she didn't love me and never wanted me anyway, through all of the chaos of it. At 18, I said, I, I sat here and I watched it all. I've given you a million opportunities. I'm the son. I'm the one who's supposed to be taken care of. And you won't do that for me. And so now I'm going to do it for myself. And at 18, I told my mother, I will never talk to you again. And until the day she died, I talked to her maybe one time. Because I had to take care of myself. I had to put myself first. And it's not selfish to do that. And what people have to understand is, the person in your way right now, stopping you from stepping into what's next in your life could be your own mother. How do you feel about your mom now that she's gone? So one of the most, that's a great question. One of the most spectacular things about this journey is understanding that generational trauma creates generational trauma. Her mother, my grandmother, who was a psychopath, like for real, treated my mother a certain way. And my mother treated me that way because it was learned behavior, Lance. And my grandmother's mother and father treated her that way and so on and so on and so on. And so I have correlation to it. I have rhyme and reason. I got A plus B equals C about this. And so I can look at it from an unbiased perspective and go, of course it makes sense she would treat me that way. Look how she was treated. Mm. And I just sit with it. I go, what are you going to do? Whatever that thing was about needing to forgive my mom and not carry the weight of it, that I took care of that 18 years ago because I saw the path, dude. I saw what was going to happen if she stayed in my life. I guarantee you, I would not be having this conversation with you right now if my mother had still been in my life after 18 years old. That doesn't make it easy. No, it doesn't make it easy. It just makes it the right choice. And the right choice is often the most difficult choice because we have to take our agency back. We have to put ourselves first. We have to take care of ourselves. And in that, sometimes that means you have to tell your mom, I'm never going to talk to you again. Hmm. Right. If you walk, think about this, man. If you walked into a room every single day and when you open the door, you got punched in the face, but you were the one choosing to walk in the door every single day. How many days would you walk in that door before you stopped walking in that door? Yeah. I'd stop pretty soon. You would, you would. But the reason we don't stop walking in that door when it comes to our family is because of this nomenclature that family is over everything. Yeah. But that's not true when all they're doing is destroying your potential, taking from you, hurting from you, making you feel less than. 
you got to stop walking through that door at some point. And so I, I gave my mom forgiveness until she stopped doing the things that garnered forgiveness. And then I said, I'm done. Mm. You know, you know what the crazy irony of it though, is look at the man she created today though. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I'm telling you right now, you know, without, you know, isn't that crazy when you think about it? Like, look how resilient and where you are and, and, you know, even though you went through all of that, look where you're at now. Yeah. Like I could, I blamed the world for a long time, Lance. I blamed everybody. It was your fault. It was their fault. It was circumstances fault. It was the government's fault. And then I recognized something. It's nobody's fault, but mine, that if from this moment forward, if my life is not better or different or changed or me sitting on an island in Thailand after being homeless as a kid and drinking a coconut and watching the sunset. If I don't get that experience, it's my fault. Hmm. And that's what people have to understand. I just, I stopped blaming them. Like, what the fuck are you going to do? I don't have a time machine, dude. I can't go back to 1994 and rescue myself. But what I can do is learn to love myself and heal myself and build a community and try the things that make me uncomfortable and make the hard decisions and show up. So is there irony in it? Yeah, sure. But there's irony in everything. Totally. Right. So I just, I just try to do good. That's mm-hmm. it. I just try to be a good person. And that's not to say I don't fuck up. Cause trust me, I do brother. I make mistakes every day, mm-hmm. but the biggest thing is you can leverage your past and let your story control you or you can control your story. And I love what you say about helping people become the hero of their story. Cause that's really what it is. Right. Yeah. Become that hero of your own movie, your own story. Yeah. I, I wrote it down. Think about, I think about it like this, your journal. This is the first time I've ever told anyone this. So you're getting like, this is incredible. What a great prompt. Your journal is the screenplay of your life. And in that screenplay, you can write out the future and you can create that and you can manifest it and you can do anything that you want in that journal. And then the question is, are you going to become the actor in it or is it going to sit on the shelf and get dusty and be unrealized? Hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful, man. There's, there's so much magic in journaling and it's something that has completely changed my life from, you know, gratitude journaling to like brain dumps, to expressive writing, to all this kind of stuff, man, just getting that, that, that thought, that stuff out is just so therapeutic. Like (laughs) it is. And, and and it gives you the space to, to bring it into reality. Yeah. You know, I, I I've written stuff in my journals that when I go back and read it, that I've accomplished, I go, that's insane. I cannot believe I did that. Yeah. But I chose to do it. That doesn't mean just writing it down makes it happen. Let's be very clear about this. It's going to, you're going to have to do a lot of work around it. But, you know, speaking in front of 10,000 people, I wrote that in my journal, traveling Mm -hmm. the world. I wrote that in a journal, writing multiple best-selling books. I wrote that in my journal. Speaking with Lance, like I write that in my journal. I said, I want to talk on 200 podcasts this year, right? That's my mm-hmm. journal. It all starts there. It all starts with my dreams and my goals and my ambitions. And then I just move towards them every day, incremental, granular, microscopic shifts that put me one degree closer to the life I want to have. 
Mm. I had to do 160 podcasts before I could talk to Lance today. Right. What's my goal? I want to do 200 this year. What's my goal? I want to end generational trauma. Great. So how many people can I get in my small group program where they can learn tools, right? I want to, I want to go and get presidential awards and travel a country and talk to UNICEF and work with, you know, what are all the things? Well, yeah. how do you do that? Small incremental changes every single day. Remember this only a little bit over a decade ago, I was laying in bed, smoking a joint and eating chocolate cake while I weighed 350 pounds and watching the CrossFit games. Yeah, that's wild. Did you do CrossFit after that? Yeah, yeah, that's actually kind of the case. Here's what to a T, to a T, this is exactly what happened. I'm watching it and I'm going, I am lazy as fuck. And then I started working on it. And, oh, you know, and I, sounds, I got fit. Sounds like it worked, man. Dude, this was powerful stuff. And I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. Cause uh, you know, this, I love hearing different perspectives on such a crazy story like yours and to be able to be able to turn it around and, and to be able to help and give back to people that, you know, have been through a lot of stuff in their, their childhood, man. And, and we need more people like you, man. So thank you very much, Michael. I appreciate you, bro. Well, I appreciate you too, man. And, and thank you for the opportunity and thank you for what you're doing in the world, because if we don't have these conversations, we're not going to create change. Absolutely, man. No, I appreciate it. Where can, where's the best place for everybody to find you and uh, discover your amazing work and join your program? Yeah. If you are in this place where you're just like, I don't know what to do. I just need some support. I need some community. I'm at Michael Unbroken on every single social platform. And I would ask you to listen to the Think Unbroken podcast because I have experts on there as well as myself who are talking about these things in depth, but in practical ways. And I I would tell you this, if you just listen to the podcast, you could change your life. Hmm. Yeah, I love it, man. We'll make sure to have all that in the show notes so people can go check you out. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review on his podcast. You guys think unbroken or what it's called think unbroken or it's the unbroken unbroken podcast or nope, Michael. It's, it's think unbroken. Think unbroken, just like your book, right? Yes, correct. I love how you own that Michael Unbroken everywhere. That's that's amazing branding, man. It's smart. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um one question I like to end with is out of all the adversity that you've been through what is the number one lesson that adversity has taught you that's such a great question dude no one's ever asked me that it's that it's very simple it's like we're talking about a moment ago adversity will always be in front of you and you have a choice you can either step to it and step through it and go to the other side or you can let it take everything from you. And so much of this journey, even though it's hard to hear, is the choices that you're making to create the life that you want to have. Hmm. Well said, my man. Thank you so much. Appreciate you, dude. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast or whether you're watching it or listening to it. Also, Go follow Michael Unbroken. All his information's in the show notes. Go check out his podcast, the Michael Unbroken podcast. And if you want to learn more about his group and all of that, all the information is there. 
All right, everybody, take this seriously. Trauma is important. And I want to keep bringing important stories like this to you so that whatever you've gone through, you're creating more awareness for your, yourself, your own story, so that you can begin to heal. Your healing journey will be different than everybody else's. That's just the bottom line because you have a unique story and you look at life through a unique lens. But when you're aware, when you acknowledge your story, you can first, then you can start to accept it and you can start to, to really figure out what it looks like to heal and create a new story for your life. All right, much love everybody. Catch you next time.